I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Anne Mashburn is a former Vogue editor who's brought her love of storytelling and a great edit to her brand, Anne Mashburn. I love talking to her about building her business and raising her five beautiful daughters. Anne Mashburn, I am so excited to talk to you. You're not that far away. You're no, I'm not. Anna? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> and you've been there the whole time? Yes, I took my first trip you know, it was spring break when this whole thing happened. So I got off the plane from Sun Valley. I actually skied the last day and they cut down, they stopped the lifts because of COVID. It was really bad there. And then came here and haven't gone anywhere except last week I got on a plane and went to Richmond and Alexandria to do trunk shows with shops. And it was really amazing. It was so, you know, I felt really safe traveling. The Delta did a fantastic job. And then there was just this optimism in the shops that I was in. You know, a lot of people came in and they were so excited to be out and about. So it actually was a really uplifting thing. I mean, I have my store here that I've been in and we're open, but it it just, it was fun to go on a trip. What I've seen also is that when people come in the store, they want to buy. I mean, there's not a lot of sort of <laughs> milling around. They're really on a No, mission. no, they really are fun. ready. Yeah. <laughs> and just the connection, you know, it's really, it's really great. And not traveling for such a long time, you as I, and you probably more than I, that's a long time for you not to travel. What's that been like? I, I've loved it personally. Me too. I mean, I don't think I realized how hard it was. And just the pause on it was amazing. I mean, I, I can remember going to visit you know, my parents when they were retired and thinking, oh my gosh, like I will die. I will shoot myself (laughs) if I just like get up every day. And, and as it happens, I kind of really enjoy it, just the slower pace and not having to rush in to a meeting because I might be doing it by zoom. And then I don't, you know, it's just, and the luxury of coming home and not just having, I mean, I guess I didn't realize how many, even when I wasn't traveling, how many business dinners I would have or, just, you know, to come home and walk the dog and have a glass of wine and make dinner and watch a television show. I mean, I have just rediscovered television. I never watched TV and I am, I love it so much. (laughs) This sounds a little haughty, but I mean, I think for me also just the not having jet lag for eight months, six months, just life-changing. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you don't realize what a toll it is on your body. And it really is because it's not just the jet lag. It's how hard you work when you're there because you are trying to pack in so much to, it's a budget thing too. It's like, okay, I'm here. I have to do 10 appointments and you just run and run and run. Uh, Where are you from? I don't think I know that. Well, I'm from all over. I was born in Dubuque, Iowa. You can believe that. And then moved every about two years of my life all over the Midwest. I lived in almost, I lived in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, 
Then my parents moved to New Jersey. I graduated from high school in New Jersey. They moved to Virginia. I went to school in Colorado and then moved to New York. So I'm really from everywhere, but not the South. An army brat or there's army? No, my dad, no, I'm retail. Like it's, it's a funny story, but my dad was a spent his whole career at the JC Penney company oh, wow. and was in management. And they just, that was how they did it. Then they just moved all around. Growing up, you had some fashion influences. You had two very fashionable friends. Will you tell me about them? My brother was probably more into fashion than I was because he was, you know, really into David Bowie and, and, you know, music was kind of his influence, but I don't think I was really impressed with anybody and the way they dressed until I had these two friends who were really, you know, one of them took me under her wing at Vogue when I moved to New York and was just, you know, the amount of confidence that she exuded and the way she, I mean, she is a stylist, like a true stylist, like somebody who just puts anything on a potato sack and knows how to move it in a way that you just are like, wow, I want to wear a potato sack. You know, you look so amazing. And then I had this other friend, Daisy Hellman, who um, was from San Francisco, and I went to school in Boulder, which isn't like a, you know, it wasn't, I mean, looking back, I was, it was filled with lots of not Colorado people too. It was a big feeder school from California. So there was this whole California thing, like with OP shorts, and I had never seen a long sleeve t-shirt before. I mean, for me, that was really novel. You know, the boys were really cute on their skateboards and the girls would, you know, I guess maybe they'd wear like, you know, bright colored corduroy or Lily Pulitzer. But my friend Daisy was from San Francisco and she was really sophisticated. And she just, like whatever she wore, she just wore it like standing a little taller. I think I've told a story once in, the, in, in writing where she was sitting out in the courtyard of our sorority house and it was hot. And so she just pulled off her t-shirt and was sunbathing in her, you know, Olga bra or whatever. But the, you know, just the, well, why not attitude of it. I was just, I loved it. I was so in awe. Confidence is so attractive. You realize. It's so attractive. I, I, you know, that's one of the biggest things I learned when I was an assistant at Vogue magazine working for Polly Mellon was that the editor group was older women. They were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Polly was 62, or excuse me, Mrs. Mellon was 62 when I worked for her. They were, you would describe them as maybe handsome, but most of them were, you know, great beauties. But they had so much confidence and the way they dressed, they took delight in it, but it was not, they, they just looked like working women. But I would go on, you know, these fashion shoots with every beautiful, you know, famous model. I was Cindy Crawford, Elle McPherson, Brooke Shields. And what you would see is a lot of them didn't, were young girls and they really didn't have a lot of confidence. And so even though they were just so abnormally beautiful, I I just was like, okay, if I could choose between being a 60 year old wrinkled woman and feel like that, I would rather, I would trade that out. It's hard to explain, but I just thought, man, I'm with you you on that. Yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about Polly and Vogue and um, how that came about and working for her. And cause it's such a, such a special time. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I, I wish, you know, I wish I'd had an iPhone because I mean, <laughs> so much of it is just in my head, but I, 
I got that job just incredibly by chance. I moved to New York after this amazing trip I'd taken with my brother to Paris. Mm -hmm. And then I was really turned on to fashion just because of what I saw. And my brother was very into, into fashion, hung out with fashion people. He was good friends with his illustrator, Tony Viramontes, where we stayed at his apartment. I just was exposed to a lot of fashion. So I moved to New York. I, you know, I'm sleeping on the couches of friends from Boulder and I am interviewing. So I, you, you, when at the time at Conan asked, you have to go in and do a typing test. You have right. to type over X amount of words a minute. And then you, yes. And then you get sent to different editors and they either deny or give you a job as their assistant. So I was turned down, you know, by Glamour, I think, maybe Mademoiselle, and then they call me, and you know, in a few hours, I need to get up there because Polly Mellon at Vogue is looking for a new assistant. So I go up there, and I. Do you remember what I, you wore? Yes, I, I remember exactly what I wore. This was my interview suit, and I had been waitressing in Richmond, Virginia, before I took off for Europe, and had bought myself a suit at Lowman's. I don't know. If All right. Any, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was a navy wool crepe suit it had like split trousers like gauchos okay, okay. and then the top was a double-breasted v-neck chanel-ish style jacket cool. so i i switched out the buttons for gold buttons to make it look more chanel yeah. and that was my interview suit so yeah. i went there and she loved what i was wearing <laughs> I, and i know for a fact because another time i was you know figuring out my style when i worked for her and i wore something and she didn't think it was Great. She's like, Annie, why don't you just dress like you did on that interview? That you know, like she really reprimanded me. But I talked myself into that job and I knew exactly how important it was that I got it. It was crazy. So my I I have a long, really long intro to say that the time at Vogue was, I mean, you know, if she was the it was the, her title on the masthead at the time was the fashion editor. Okay. So it, she was a, a stylist. I mean, she went on fashion shoots, she decided everything that went in the magazine. But the interesting thing was it was such a strange time there because in the office next to me was Anna Wintour. And she was there as the creative director. Oh wow. And she sure. was yeah. So and then across the other hall from me was Andre Leon Talley. Mm -hmm. And his assistant at the time was Isabella Blow. At the time, she was Isabella Delves Broughton. So between Lisa Sapphire, my great friend that I already spoke of, and Isabella, they took this little girl from the Midwest, which I really was, and they completely educated me into the ways of New York and said, okay, you are, I mean, I'll never forget Lisa Sapphire was like, they are going to eat you alive here. You have to like, listen to me. She would grab me and we'd go have dinner at the Odeon with like Fred Hughes from Interview Magazine. You know, again, I wish I'd had an iPhone because it was all just in my <laughs> head. With Polly, we did every Vogue shoot. So I was in Richard Avedon's studio once a month. Wow. We worked with Stephen Mizell. We worked with Irving Penn. Just, you know, I really got to see all this great creative energy. But she was a completely, like the movie The Devil Wears Prada was more like, in my opinion, Miranda Priestley was more like Polly, I think, in a lot of ways than Anna Wintour. Just because she didn't suffer fools. Yeah, and she was, she was just a tyrant. But I guess uh, she's, <laughs> Anna was, is very composed, whereas Polly was so fiery and really 
did not have a handle on her emotions at all. I mean, she reprimanded me once and said, Annie, you, you have to learn. You show everything with on your face and you just can't do that. And I was like, well, that's, you know, the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, she just, she was insane and really a tyrant. Like if you, you know, today she would, you know, she would be outed for being so horrible. But I, but I also loved her. She was incredibly maternal and, you know, taught me so much, but it was an impossible job and she was so mean. I mean, so mean. Do you have a favorite Polly story or could you give me a favorite piece of advice that she gave you? Our very first photo shoot, it was a photo shoot with Stephen Mizell, and we were in a studio downtown with Lori Singer. If anybody is as old as me, they'll remember she was in the first Footloose. Yes, so, of course. Yes. Yeah. But it was amazing. It was all these Stephen Sprouse clothes and it was like <laughs> really and Stephen Mizell plays really loud music, like crazy loud music when he shoots. And Polly was this really great editor who made everybody, like her job was to make everybody feel comfortable on the set. Mm -hmm. So if she was with Irving Penn, she was like stiff Polly, who was like, everything was just, you know, really quiet. If she was with Stephen, she was groovy Polly. So this was groovy Polly. She asked me for her pin cushion. So I, we're on the set and there's, you know, hair and makeup and photography assistants. So I walk over with the pin cushion for her to adjust the thing. And she goes, she claps like, Annie, when I say bring me the pincushion, you run, you run. And I'm standing there in front of all these adults. <laughs> and it, it, she just, it was so weird. And in a second, I was like, okay, that's what this is going to look like. I'm just going to be humiliated every time I'm on this. Oh. I mean, it was, and, and, but I did it. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll figure this out. But you, you know, and they all knew her and she, you know, she treated every assistant that way, yeah. but it was just this. And it was like, she was releasing her tension. So you could tell, like, if the hairstylist was not doing what she wanted them to do, I would be the dog that got kicked because she right. couldn't say that. She would just try to, you know, put her nice energy towards them and her, you know, tension towards me. And I, you know, you like just, a master you, manipulator in the next day, she was totally. Oh yeah. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She, <laughs> well, she, she acted like that in the office too. I mean, yeah. her, her life was one big drama, but she was, you know, she had incredible qualities too. She was just very, I would say she was very up and down, but I'll, I'll, we were at the light box. Okay. So when you, you got the film in slides mm -hmm. and she would look at it on her little light box and yeah. maybe we were looking at runway photos or something, but she would hit, call me over and, you know, we would, she would sometimes like, you know, have me help her and look at next to her. And I remember commenting on a really beautiful girl and saying, oh my gosh, she's so, she's so pretty. And she looked at me and she goes, well, she doesn't deserve credit for that. Like <laughs> that's from her, that's from her parents. Her parents. You should never, <laughs> yes, you should never admire Beauty, beauty like that it made a big impression on me and it's again what I kind of learned you know with with working with all different kinds of women yeah. was that it really is what's on the inside and confidence and what you make of it it was a really amazing amazing experience to be there and then I finally had to quit because you can't take it that's just a given I, I stuck it out as long as I could two months later I was hired by glamour because once you have that degree right. from her you can go anywhere I went to go work for Phyllis Posnick, who, who oh, famously cool. did not hire me when I interviewed for her before Polly. <laughs> yeah, I was a fashion editor at Glamour magazine, and I, it was great. I worked there for maybe eight more years. I loved it, but it was very rote. I mean, the magazine world is one month and the next month and the next yeah. month. 
And I wasn't doing as much creatively. I was a fashion editor. So I would go to all the showroom appointments and go to all the shows. It was a lot like being a buyer in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, but it just felt really mechanical. And I'd done that. I thought I'm always going to know what it feels like to have a run through for September and October and November. I know how to do that, but I'm never going to know what it feels like to just really lean into motherhood and figure this out. I actually left, I moved out to Connecticut because I'd had my second baby and I, it was, it was tough to quit, but I knew that I couldn't do the commute and I was really enchanted with being a mother. And we lived in this amazing apartment above a stable in Connecticut, just really moved out there on a whim. I had met a married Sid and you met him and married him in New York. In New York, yes. I met him on the beach. And basically, I was very young in my set of people that I worked with to become married. We met when we were 24. We married at 26. And then I had a baby at 28. And it was so rare in New York. And I think I we just had this amazing apartment to move into. And I was like, I want to try this. I mean, if, if I had... If there was a computer era, I would have written the blog like Amanda <laughs> Brooks. So I made that break. And but I worked freelance at the time for J. Crew because my as a stylist or as a designer? As a stylist. They were so great. They were like, Oh yeah, you could come work once a week. So I would go work, you know, I'd go in on Monday and plan a photo shoot, and then the next Monday I would go and shoot it in the next. So that was really nice to kind of keep my toe in the water. And yeah. it was great. But I really, for all intents and purposes, wasn't wasn't working full time and then life kind of went in another direction and I kept having kids. And you had all five girls in Connecticut or did you No, we, we kind of moved around. Okay. So I had two more in Connecticut. So there, by this time we have three and then Sid took a job. He left Ralph Lauren and took a job out in San Diego for this guy. I know it was just completely on a whim. I don't know how (laughs) old we were, maybe 34. And this guy said, Oh, come out here. I want to do this men's concept. You know, you can be the designer. So we said, sure, why not? So I moved out to San Diego and then got pregnant again, had my fourth daughter, Harriet. <laughs> then we um, moved back to, to Connecticut and he went to go work for Tommy Hilfiger mm-hmm. in New York. Then he got this job at Land's End. He, we moved to Wisconsin because he got a job oh to God. run all of design. Yes. So I did not know that. This. Okay. Yeah. So that was a huge detour. Okay. So, yeah. you know, he said, Oh, you know, they want to fly you out, and say, you know, come out with me and see if you, if you want to go live in Wisconsin. And I said, say, Oh my gosh, I'm from Wisconsin. I do not have to fly out there to tell you, I do not want to live. There. <laughs> but if you, if it's really great thing for you, you know, I'll go. And I truly thought it would be like a year because mm-hmm. that is very typical. Like a company yeah. will hire a creative team and say, oh, we want it to be so cool and change yeah. it all. And then they fire you because they actually right. do not want it to change. But lo and behold, we were there for seven years before you got fired. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> that was a good run. Oh my gosh. I had no idea about this. Aunt. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I loved it because I felt like it was you know, I just really had no choice but to lean into motherhood. And I loved, I mean, I, you know, then I had another baby and she kind of saved me. I wasn't a plan at all, but you know, she came along and I was like, I had five kids then. And frankly, I would have been doing a lot of what I was doing anywhere. You know, I was going to soccer games and I was going to dance and I was helping with Kumon and I was cooking and I would have done that anywhere. But in a way I loved kind of the adventure of it because I felt 
we all kind of felt displaced in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So we had this real, really strong little nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, Sid actually worked and he lived in Madison and he worked in Dodgeville, which was 45 minutes away. And we built this beautiful weekend house there. And that was really creative to work with an architect and do that. So I really, I found my groove, but I would say I was so happy to leave there. If we were 45, maybe. Sid had, since the minute I met him, he's wanted to do what he's doing now. And having worked for, you know, Ralph Lauren and J. Crew, he just, he just was like, okay, I really, I want to build a men's brand, but I want to also have a store because I love retail. He grew up working in a men's store. And so it was- In Mississippi. In Mississippi. So we were either going to move back to New York and he would just take a job, which I pushed him to do. I was like, Sid, we have five kids. The oldest is going to be a senior in high school. We are not just, I had a a six-year-old and a 17-year-old when we started this business. And so how did y'all pick Atlanta? We picked it because he he got on a plane and he went to Washington, D.C. and he went to Chicago and like Boston, okay? It needed to be a city that was big enough that, you know, had a sophisticated clientele. We needed an airport because mm-hmm. he knew he was making most of his stuff in Italy. Mm-hmm. And other than that, you know, really what happened is we moved, he, he got on a plane and he just, we, I mean, business-wise, it made no sense to open where he opened here, but it just felt <laughs> cool. And if there's anything Sid is great at, it's like sniffing out what is cool. So yeah. we signed a lease on a on the shop here, which is in the back of a center. And I was terrified of doing it. I said, okay, I will do this, but we have to buy a house, okay? So save mm-hmm. that money. I had college accounts for the kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, anything else that we lose, it's fine. We'll just lose it. And you're employable. So, you know, I really, <laughs> I need to give you this chance. But once, and so I was really terrified, but once we got going, it was so much fun. And then how did your collection and Mashburn enter the picture? Three years into it, a little space, a really small space, two doors down from his shop became available. And my landlord, who's brilliant and uh, kept pushing me. It was like, you really have to open a women's store. You really have to do it. And oddly, our friend, our mutual friend, Julia Reed, who we all just <laughs> lost, yeah. um, I was just kept bugging me too. She was like, oh my gosh, you could make it great. Like, I, you've got to do this. You just have to do this. You should make it like Capital. It's the coolest, like, <laughs> you just, you can't even imagine how cool it could be. You know, I said, okay, well, I'll try it. I made my landlord only, I had a year bump out. I just said, if I can make it exactly the way I like it. And, and I had no confidence that it would work because all the clothes that I liked were kind of boring for everybody else. And I, I knew I wasn't, like I knew I could never make a store like yours. I'm just not a big designer girl. It's right. just not authentic. You know, I had like St. James t-shirts and clogs mm-hmm. and ballet flats and, you know, all the things that I, I knew. You wanted I said, to wear hey, that I wanted to wear, but also I thought, okay, so Sid is the designer. It's like, I have to make it brand with his. Mm -hmm. He is a full-on designer. I'm not going to go out there and tell everybody I'm designing my own line. But what I can bring to it is, is I was a fashion editor and I can tell you what you need. I can make the things that I know how to make better. And then I will just pull in the things that I think you need as a woman. And so it was really like an editor's point of view. And that was kind of my go-to-market strategy. And then little mm-hmm. by little, I started making more of my own things. I hired a designer who, who helped me. And, you know, now I have a whole team. But in the beginning, I really, I just made shirts and, and it went really well. Have you enjoyed it since the beginning? 
Oh yeah, it was. It's so fun. I mean, it's very hairy now because we, <laughs> we've grown into like you know 150 people that you know you're responsible for. And but the thing I actually love the most with what I do is the 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 parts that were more like a fashion editor. Like I work with my oldest daughter, and we produce all the the email campaigns, the photography, the, you know, the storytelling of our brand is what I enjoy the most. I, I love to, to help to work with the design team to make the things I want to wear, but mm -hmm. I don't like all the merchandising information and all that stuff. I'm so happy to let somebody else do because <laughs> I, again, I, I, maybe it's just this, you know, this insecurity about like, I know what I know I want to wear. And to be honest, in hindsight, most of those things are the best sellers, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things that, that we need to sell that maybe isn't my total cup of tea. There's all these people who say, and Sid is one of those that say, I'm never going to put one thing in my shop that I wouldn't wear, but I'm really specific. I don't like, there's lots of things that I think are fantastic that I put in my shop, but I, I maybe won't want to wear those things. No, and, I always um, say if that, yeah. if, if my store was about what I wanted to wear, it'd be Navy um, yeah. guys cords and Navy cashmere sweaters Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and men's shirts. That's it. Right. And clogs, maybe some clogs. Yeah. Um, and I love women. I love, I love <laughs> helping them feel great. You know, yeah. that was what was a surprise to me was actually how much I loved retail. From your past experience at Vogue and sort of, this was an unusual place to find yourself in and also find yourself liking. Oh, completely. And I hated retail. I mean, my yeah. dad worked for the JCPenney company and I, on Christmas vacations, I would have right. to be, I'd be stuffed in the men's accessories department, which is a euphemism <laughs> for men's underwear. And right. like, you can imagine a 16 year old girl like, selling socks. I thought it was the worst thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the first three years I was in my shop every day and yeah. I loved it and now less so. And it's, it's great, but I, you know, I breeze through the shop here and I go visit the other shops. I love working with customers and it is just, it's like a cocktail party in the day. Yeah. You know? It's so fun. You had a significant moment of challenge and change. I think that you shared during the pandemic. Will you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about your two daughters and the degenerative disease that they've been diagnosed with and, and also just the story about sharing that and how that, how that happened and how it was received? So we have five daughters and, you know, a big, fantastic family. Two of our daughters were diagnosed like about three years ago with this very incredibly rare disease. And I'm so grateful we were able to figure out through DNA testing. Did you have signs along the way and, and were the signs the same in both daughters? No. Well, in hindsight, you know, yeah. it's, it's crystal clear right. that there were clues all along, but they actually both present a little differently with right. their disease. So they're very, very different. But the, the issue was that there was never any one the one of them the younger one had a slight language processing thing she spoke mm -hmm. really softly she stuttered for a while you know anytime I had her tested there was nobody that could ever say what her disability was and there's right. so many people out there who have you know oh it's it's just a it's a disorder you don't know what it is but it was never anything and I would say again that because there were five of them they were all just you know the the more capable ones would help with them. Right. It just, they were, they were all in the mix. Yeah. And, and the second daughter was like, there were no signs until my daughter who, who is 24 now. She, when she was about 15, she developed a hand tremor 
And uh-huh. so we started seeing a neurologist then, and w- one thing led to another, and they were diagnosed with this disease. And, but it, because it's so odd and rare, and it's, they, they have motor issues that are, affect their, their walking. So that's mm-hmm. gotten worse. And then they have cognitive issues, which have also gotten worse. Mm-hmm. But they're really, like if you were to chat with them, they, they're, they're on, they don't seem that disabled, mm-hmm. but they really, really are. You know, you just, it's really hard to describe to people. So my daughter, Louisa, who worked in our store for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, she just would not get like some social cues. Like maybe she would talk to the customers too much and right. the other girls would be folding sweaters. And you were like, Louisa, get your act together. What is wrong with you? Right. When in reality, she really Really couldn't like she, you cannot get your act together if your brain is shaped a certain way they, I would describe them as being very moderately disabled in their ability to walk and move well now though four years ago we were hiking in Switzerland so right. it's been a, a big decline but they're really like teenagers kind of in their head but why I shared it was because the Harriet who's 24 she's always worked for us and she worked in the design department for my great design team, doing like intern type things. But she's really, really pretty, so we would use her as a model often. I had a friend who always said, oh, a picture tells a thousand lies. And I was like, that is exactly, like you couldn't have a better metaphor for this than Harriet. So true. Everything looks so great, but in the end, she's this person whose life is, is will be forever changed because of this disease. So, you know, I just didn't feel right. I do this, this every two weeks I write a, a fashion thing. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a huge creative outlet for me. I love it so much. I was like, this just feels too weird. I can't sell anything right now. It just feels awkward. I know you have the same exact yeah. moment in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my oldest daughter, Elizabeth helps me with this and she's so creative and she's like the protector kind of, of our brand too, because she knows Sid and I so well. So she never lets me do anything bad on social media. <laughs> she's really <laughs> awesome. But I said, I, I just have this idea. I really want to do it. And she at first was really negative. She was like, mom, you just, you can't, you can't. Mm-hmm. And then I said, just finally, she said, well, just try and, and see, see what you come up with. And I will never forget. She, she was reading it. She called me and she just was like sobbing. Mm-hmm. And I was just so grateful because it moved her. So I, I just, I thought I was, it ended up being a huge help to yeah. our family because it kind of introduced it in a way that was careful and beautiful. And I learned a lot from, I had been thinking about it for so long that the, the words just tumbled out. And what kind of responses did you receive? You know, we, we were joking about it. I, I said, and again, you won't know this because you're not as old as me, but there was a movie called Brian's Song and it was, I know like it. every guy <laughs> cried in it. Yes. I, I said, oh my gosh, this is the Brian Song of 2020 <laughs> because so many men called me or Aww. said, oh, I wept through it. And yeah. I, you're so... So, so well, the, and people love y'all you know. so much, and I think I think that that's one of the things that's so interesting about this whole COVID experience is that people just want reality. I think I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I think people no, want no, connection and yeah. realness, and they're so sick of the fake, you know, fake photos. But see, I thought that I was feeling this way so much before, and I know you were too, because this is what social media does. And so that's why, you know, it had been in my head because I was like, oh my gosh, nothing is like this. And I have always been somebody who felt more comfortable just putting it out there and saying how, how hard it was rather than how easy it was. I just really, I, I come from a background where there was lots of 
bad stuff that happened and not to, I don't, I don't know. It just has been a part of me. So I, but I, it just, it felt like I honored them and I can't even tell you how, how happy the two daughters with both Aww. Harriet and Louisa were from it and the yeah. other sisters. It was just, you know, and now that you're a relief tool, probably too yes. to be able to share that and to, to really say like, this is what is happening. This is who right. I am. Right. Yeah. So they sent, they've sent it to their friends and they've said, this That's is amazing. really what's going on with me. It is so hard and it is so sad. And it just made me so appreciative of all of people with intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities all over the world. It was like my, my, something went off in my head and I'm just this really changed person for it. Do you, has so. it changed the, the vision for your family or for your business that you had for the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, I think it has. I think it has. I think it's put that into perspective too, because creatively Sid and I are really on the same page and have really enjoyed building it and having it become what we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But then you get to a point in a business when it is really, it's so big that you, you know, a lot of those things you can't, you can't be as creative with because it's not just you. Like right. I can take the risk with Sid and say, oh, if it doesn't work, forget it. We'll just do mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I can't really do that. Right. So I think, <laughs> I, I, I think about that with a big cloak of responsibility because I want it to succeed because I also want to make sure I can take care of, you know, I'm going to be, uh, have a life where I'm taking care of not just Sid and I. I mean, I had this idea yeah. where we could do whatever we wanted and get in a van and drive all over the you know, mm-hmm. the U.S. if we felt like it. So I, I don't really know what my life is going to look like. So I'm not, I just know today it looks like this. Everybody who's on the podcast, we ask what they were to the prom. Mm-hmm. I want to hear this, <laughs> especially okay. because you can sew. I'm excited about that. Yes. That okay. So yes, I'm going to, I'm actually going to cheat because the, the prom dress I wore, I did buy, but I, okay. for a ninth grade, the first dance <laughs> that I ever went to, I made my dress and it is so, it was so awesome in my head. Yeah. I was, I was going for Franco Zeffirelli, like Juliet. Okay. Right. So it ended up, it was like a very Laura Ashley looking, you know, yoke across the top, puppy sleeves in a floral, a very muted floral. But the funniest thing was that in my head, I wanted to, I'll never forget, I wanted to make it out of black watch plaid. And my my mother was like, I know, my mom was like, Anne, you cannot do that. You were going to sweat your head off. And so I had some like outlander type idea in my head, pre-outlander, but I ended up doing it in the floral and I just, I'm like cracking up because if I had known how to adjust it, you know, like if I could have been a real designer, I would have made it, you know, lower so that my bosom would have come up a little more. But I mean, it was, it looked like I was, looked so like, you know, Laura Ingalls Wilder instead of Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Anne, so, so much. For so me. fun. It was oh. really great. And thank you for asking so many nice questions and thinking that I had something to say. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.